You're watching the Sports Objective, the podcast for Pirates. to the sports objective is we've got a very special night special guest it's hump day wednesday night the draft eve if you will and bubba what a cool guest we love having this guy on for the last five years yeah the tulane green wave will be traveling to clark leclerc this weekend um pirates looking to snap a four-game skid um fell five to four to the wolf pack last night but uh, welcome back into the show to preview that Tulane series. The director of broadcasting, play-by-play voice of the Tulane Green Wave, Corey Glory. It's really been five years. Five years, yes, sir. Yeah. Sometimes it's felt We're like almost. it's been. Uh, sometimes felt like a week. Sometimes it's felt like much longer. I, I, I but thank you for having me back. <laughs> it's uh, next five years for the. Time of 2018 is when we had you on, um, so not quite five years, but pretty daggone close. I'm yeah, so we're glad humbled to have you on and, and honored. Uh, yeah, Corey, talk about the uh, season so far with Tulane uh, baseball. No, on the outside looking in. Uh, well, you're, you're cutting out a little bit there, Dave, but I think I got the gist of your question. Um, and I'll just say it's been a, a battle. It's been a struggle. It's been a challenge. Um, you name it. Uh, it has not exactly been what a lot of folks were expecting here this year. It's a new coach and Jay Ullman with a new staff here as well and a relatively young group that was asked to shoulder a, a pretty big load this year especially offensively, uh, and couple that with a, an extremely challenging non-conference schedule and a lot of road trips early on, um, uh, not a lot has come together in the way that most hoped it would by this point. And so it has been, um, it, it's been tough. There's no way around it. I mean, 12 and 29 is 12 and 29. And, um, you know, it's it's a team that has had to learn how to take some lumps pretty early on and has seen the the hardest non-conference schedule of anyone in the league. Um, and uh, they have learned what it means to be a winning program. They have seen some of the top programs in the nation this year already, uh, and they're about to see another one here this weekend. And so the 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 hope the goal is that by the time they got to conference that some of the um some of the up close and personal lessons that they were getting from some of the you know the UCLA's and the Campbells and the UC Irvines and some of the non-conference teams that they have seen and put on this schedule that would get them ready for league play and they're 5 and 7 they're still losing more than they're winning but they have certainly played a lot better in league play than they did in non-conference and so you know you're heading into a place that um 
I don't. I would say this is probably not the best time to see East Carolina with what's happened over the last week to ECU. Um, but uh, I mean, this is going to be yet another example here of seeing a team that knows how to check all the boxes. And if you want to be a winning club, you're going to see what it's like to be a winning club. You saw one last night in Southern Miss. You, you coughed away a late lead um, that a game that you should have held on to and you didn't. And so um, a, another teaching moment for um, a, a young group that has learned the hard way what it means to win in college baseball. Corey, you talk about the coaching transition with Jay Ullman. Uh, you talk about the youthful roster. Uh, tell us about that roster's makeup. We'll talk about the, the rotation and then the lineup here in a few minutes. But um, just the general makeup of this youthful roster, you know, ha- um, you know how many new pieces um, and then you know, how many uh, are, were freshmen and maybe some from the transfer portal. Well, the the pitching staff is almost half new from last year. There were, you know, Dylan Carmoose is still at the front of the rotation, and he's been the Friday guy all year. But behind that, it's been a lot of new pieces to try and figure some guys out. Ricky Castro's been the Saturday guy. He's a transfer from Purdue, and he's been pretty reliable. But you're talking about a, a pretty much a, a clean slate in the pitching staff for a lot of guys. And behind those two, there have been some severe growing pains, some speed bumps here. And you've seen some guys step forward here of late. Grant Clevenger, a freshman from Kansas, um, he uh, he got the start last night. And he only pitched an inning, but um, his first career start in his last five, six outings has been really good. So he earned that opportunity. Um, and so he's been a guy that has started to come forward a little bit here in the, in the back half of the year. They've struggled finding a third weekend starter. There's been three different guys in that spot over the course of the year, and no one's really seized it. So I don't know if they have a, a named starter yet for this weekend. They didn't when I went in today to chat with the coach. Um, and so um, it has been a, a mismatch on the mound here of a couple of guys coming in from the portal. Um, and, the, you know, this team's had a pretty good success rate over the years of finding guys that weren't getting a ton of opportunities at places like Mississippi State. That's where they got Dylan Carmouche from last year. LSU, where Michael Fowler, who's been this team's most go-to reliever this year, got him from there, and he has been good up until recently. Um, and so they've coupled that with, some freshman arms and some young arms or some arms that were around last year, but didn't see a lot of time. It's what's happened here is regardless of kind of the age of some of the guys in the roster, it is a mix of a lot of guys who didn't have a ton of reps really coming into the year. And so even, you know, the juniors, the seniors, the redshirt seniors on this team, uh, they were kind of split in time last year. Now they were being asked to be the main guys, and there have been some some growing pains because of that. The The offense has been a lot better the last couple of weeks, but now the pitching has been a little bit weaker. And so that's kind of the that's kind of the knack when um when you're a, a 12 and 29 team, when one thing's going right, the other thing seems to go wrong. Um, and so it hasn't really come together just yet. You got four weekends of conference play to see if you can put something together here to make a charge in Clearwater. Um, and and so we'll see if they can do that. But it's it has been discombobulated. There's no way around it. 
last weekend up at Cincinnati. Uh, the rotation was Carmouche, Castro, and Welch uh, in that order. So if, if you would tell us about each one of those uh, weekend starters. Well, Carmouche fans will, might remember from last year, um, Dylan pitched extremely well against ECU last year in the series here in New Orleans uh, and got a win to start that series. Um, that was his final win until, goodness, conference play began um, when he got a win over Memphis to start the league action four weeks ago. And he had pitched pretty well, actually, for most of those starts. He wasn't getting any support from his offense at the back end of last year through the conference tournament. And then in the non-conference slate this year, he was getting like two runs of support a game and he was pitching pretty well. He was asked to be perfect. And finally, his team kind of gave him some leads once a league play hit. And he's pitched very well until last weekend in which Cincinnati really, really hit him. And a couple of errors opened the door, but then, uh, Carmouche kind of opened the wound and, and a seven run inning suddenly popped up on the board um, against the weakest hitting offense in the conference. And so that was a head scratcher. Uh, and so I'll be interested to see how Dylan rebounds on Friday against a team that he really shut down last year. Um, and so I, I'll be fascinated to see what the dynamics of that again uh, will be coming up in a few days. And Ricky Castro comes in from Purdue. He's been pretty stout from start to finish. He was a Sunday guy up until a couple of weeks ago, and then Tulane just needed to put him on Saturdays. Um, a blemish of an outing stands out against Wichita State, uh, but that's because that was his third start in 12 days. Um, and so he was just very, very on fumes, and he didn't pitch a ton at Purdue the, the year before, and so he's in new territory here with a lot of innings under his belt. He's a sinker baller um, with a, a pretty good changeup to back it up as well, and he looked a lot better against Cincinnati last Saturday. And then Chandler Welch got the ball on Sunday. I don't know if we'll get the ball to start this coming Sunday. I think that is up in the air right now because Cincinnati really hit him hard. Um, and when Welch is on, he's got five pitches that he can work with. A low to mid-90s fastball. He's got a cutter. He's got a changeup. He's got a slider. And then he'll, he'll break out a 12-6 curveball on you too. But um, he was switched to the bullpen for about a week and a half and pitched well. So he got the start against Cincinnati didn't pitch that great. So we'll see how that navigates here coming up this weekend against, a, especially against an offense full of left-handers like ECU has. Taking a look at the bullpen, uh, you've already mentioned some of these names, if not all, um, but uh, Fowler, Lombardi, Clevenger, Price. Uh, Fowler leads the team with 23 appearances, and then Lombardi leads the team with four saves. And those guys have been really good up until recently. Uh, they're both kind of hitting. Again, it's a similar situation for all these arms here. Uh, they're hitting points where they haven't pitched this many innings before. Fowler comes in after two years at LSU in which he barely threw the ball for the Tigers. And then Lombardi is a freshman. He's also a two-way player. He's an infielder but he had to kind of slide into the back of the bullpen was really good. And now he's getting hit. Uh, and so the, the bullpen is frankly really in flux right now. Clevenger has pitched really well. So he's going to get probably, I would imagine he'll probably get multiple opportunities this weekend with how lefty dominant the pirate lineup is. 
Uh, and then Billy Price, who's a big left-hander that comes in by way of Virginia, um, he's been pretty solid more often than not. Last night, he was pitching well until he wasn't. He hung a curveball and gave up a tying home run in the ninth. Um, this is also a guy that's coming off of Tommy John. And so what you're going to get a commonality with here is a lot of guys who are getting pushed past where they usually had been um, that are being leaned on right now for some key moments for Tulane in high leverage spots. And uh, one of the other guys that's been in these spots here of late is Gavin Smith. He, d- he left last night's game with an injury. And so we'll see what his availability will be this weekend. But he's been pretty solid. And so two lanes actually stayed relatively healthy by and large this year. That might have changed Tuesday night. And so what you're going to see, um, you know, by this point, I couldn't really tell you what the back end of a game might look like here when two lanes in a lead, because I think that's still very much shifting at the moment with what's happened the last couple of weeks. And so um, I, I, it's going to be a lot of guys that are going to be leaned on here to try and come through to get some big outs. Uh, by the way, Corey, I'm actually going to be down in Clearwater, so maybe we can hang out and with Hulk Hogan and Brutus Barbecue Beefcake and Timmy Hart down there at Hogan's. You know, in the the many years I've gone to Clearwater, I've never once been to Hulk Hogan's bar and uh, and place. Never been. <laughs> so you won't be hanging out with Hulk Hogan. Maybe I can still hang out with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I love to. I love to catch up. Uh, no doubt. As, as far as the with the East Carolina team, you probably know, but they uh, nationally and locally, people are talking about the fact that they play very good at home, like 24 and two, maybe beyond that. But they only lost two um, in the Keith LeClaire Classic to Long Beach State. And then, of course, to UNCW. Um, otherwise, they've done very well. But on the road, um, it's been really, really rough. I, I I don't know what that could be attributed to. I mean, it, it's still one of the best teams in the nation. And so, um, yeah, I, I know, you know, I, the Wichita State Series had some a, a little bit of um, some oddity to it with a doubleheader on Saturday. Um, and, you know, we just saw that Wichita State team right before then. We saw them the week before, hosted them here. And, and I walked out of that weekend um, – really impressed with what that team looks like and how they operate. And I know they're playing right now as we talk against Kansas. So I, I'm interested to see how they handle a team that they should be able to beat in, a, in the Big 12. Um, now, we were able to get to their pitching two weeks ago. That kind of started this surge offensively that Tulane's been on here the last couple of weeks, averaging about eight and a half runs a game here over the last couple of weeks. Um, and that includes the 12-1 the to 1 loss to Cincinnati on Sunday. Um, and, and we had a, a win was blowing out day. We played a doubleheader against Wichita on a Friday as well. And, and we got to their pitching. And so, um, but, uh, the way that those arms, that starting rotation really attacks hitters, that was the question about that team was whether or not, uh, they had enough pitching to get through. Um, and they certainly did this past weekend. Um, and they did by and large to get through us to take two of three. Now they lost a series to Houston. And I think that's getting overlooked a little bit right now is that Houston's actually in first place in the league because Houston has a series over Wichita already and has a series over ECU. 
Um, and so, you know, we haven't seen Houston yet. I, I know that them making a charge here is uh, probably important because they're going to the Big 12 next year. And so the fact that they are in a catbird seat is pretty surprising to me right now. Um, but Wichita State, I mean, I, I, I felt, you know, not seeing East Carolina yet with my own eyes, uh, Wichita State was as complete as I've seen. And Tulane's seen a ton of great teams this year out of league. Uh, and Wichita really, really impressed me with what they brought to the table. Those hitters can mash. Like, there's no easy outs in that lineup. Yeah. Um, and, and like, they don't swing and miss. They, they always make contact. They're always fighting through at-bats. Uh, and they have a, a really strong starting rotation. And so uh, they, they've got something there. And now it's, is it going to be too little too late for them? Because their RPI is still in the 80s. They're going to have to make a push here over the last month of the year. Um, but uh, what they've done here this year to ECU, to us, to a lot of teams has really stood out. Yeah, that's something Coach Godwin said that he's, he said, obviously, we had just played Houston a couple weeks prior, but uh, there's no doubt in, in his opinion that uh, Wichita State was the better baseball team. And like you said, in lineup one through nine, uh, very potent. Um, they could hit with power. They could steal bases. And then uh, their pitching rotation, as we saw last weekend, uh, holding East Carolina to just three runs um, and shutting them out twice, once more than the Pirates have been shut out all season. And uh, they play a really strong defense, too. They run a lot more than Wichita State teams of recent years. I mean, uh, one of the calling cards of Lauren Hibbs when he was at Charlotte was their base running. And now they run. So not just are they getting on base, but they really cause havoc, too. And so, you know, if, if there's a weakness there, it's whether or not they have enough depth in the bullpen to work their way through, say, a Clearwater week. But uh, I'll take that lineup that they have and those three pitchers in the starting rotation against anybody because that that is as good as you can find, certainly in this league. And, and it's the, it's really dang solid when you just look nationally. And that's something that Mike Kennedy, the play-by-play voice of Wichita State, when we had him on last week, he said that Lauren Hibbs, um, that was one change that he had he had made when he took over in the interim role is that he was running a lot more like Gene Stevenson did back in the day at Wichita State. So because I had noticed that they had stolen going into that series 56 bases. And I remember uh, those Shockers teams from, from back in my childhood, you know, stealing well over 100 bases. And that wasn't, you know, when, when um, Eric Wedge was there, they didn't run. Todd Butler didn't really have him run before Wedge. And Lauren Hibbs was a great base runner in his time playing at Wichita State. And so he brought that to Charlotte for nearly 30 years, and now he's brought it back to Wichita. And so it just seems to have unlocked something more there. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, th this league has a knack of doing this, um, especially by this point. We're in the last weekend of April, and it's, it's usually a bloodbath at this stage in league play. There are four more weekends to go. It was around this time last year in which ECU rattled off their 22-game winning streak, however long that thing went. Um, and so, you know, it, and I believe that started after a loss to NC State, if I recall correctly. And so, um, because, you know, because we got the Pirates two out of three here and then a loss to NC State, and then that streak started. And so, 
Um, you know, that East Carolina team found a, found a switch last year. Um, and so I can't imagine there are very many folks in that. Um, do they still have the third base dugout or the third base dugout or the first base dugout, Clark O'Claire? I, I don't know. <laughs> but um, there, there's no way that folks are happy right now there uh, with what's happened the last week. And so Tulane will be walking into a buzzsaw. And for a team that has had a relentless schedule, um, this is the um, – this is this tends to happen in a, in a year like this, in which you have seen just some crazy intense competition with some long travel, um, some incredible midweek games against some high level competition. Um, and when you get in the league and you're seeing teams in the league that are frankly worse than the teams that you played in non-conference, the, the teams that are high quality in the American always seem to catch you at the wrong time. And, and so Tulane will have to, you know, one, believe they can go in and win, which, you know, to their credit, the last couple of weeks, that hasn't wavered from this team, um, even though the losses have piled up. But two, they will have to mentally rebound from what was a heartbreaker last night following a pretty aggravating game Sunday in Cincinnati. And so um, there is a lot that is being challenged to this Tulane team heading into this weekend, and, and not the least of which, um, those that were on this team last year remember what happened last year in New Orleans. Also remember what happened in the conference tournament semifinals against East Carolina. And I'm sure that opinion and that knowledge is being shared on the other side. Um, and so um, there is a little bit of um, rivalry here. This these two have had rivalries for a long time. And just because one is at the top of the league and one is, is trying to find its way here hasn't really changed that. Um, and so that is being impressed as well. And you're walking into one of, if not the more challenging environments you've seen all year. And so um, so this is going to be in a year of crazy large tests. This is going to be right up there here for this team after what just happened Tuesday. You talk about the green waves swinging the bat well of late. Um that's something that jumped out to me when I saw 54 home runs and you had five guys with seven plus. So um, talk about the power the lineup brings to the table and you know, some of the, the top bats. Well, heading into the year, I mean, th this team lost a, a good number of pieces uh, after last year in the transfer portal. And part of that was a coaching change. And so that's going to happen. But there were four sophomores that were going to be leaned on in this lineup that were all freshmen last year and all had big moments, whether they were lengthy or whether they were somewhat shortened. And all four of them really struggled to start the year. And that's because, you know, young guy that's suddenly being asked to carry the load um, with not the same veteran protection around you at the plate, like Ethan Groff was the conference's best hitter last year. He's not here anymore. Uh, Luis Avilas was a stud first baseman catcher. He graduated. Um, and so these pieces helped stabilize a Brady Margette, a Jackson Lynn, who was a freshman All-American last year. Gavin Scholes came on the back half of the year. And then when T.O. Banks got healthy, he tore things up. Uh, and those four guys were going to be the centerpiece of this lineup. And all four of them started slow. One by one, they have all started to kind of come back out of the, the depths of the start of the year. 
I'm not sure someone could have started a year worse than T.O. Banks this year. He was one for his first 24 with 17 strikeouts. It was a crazy number. Um, and he, over the last three, four weeks, has swung a great bat. And he homered last night against Southern Miss. Um, and so he has come around. Brady Margette started coming back around really at the start of conference play. Um, is when he really started settling back in at first base. Now the last week or so is when Gavin Scholes has been hitting uh, the ball hard. He had two homers last night. Um, you know, he didn't play last Tuesday against New Orleans, and he's 9 for 17 in the four games since, and he hasn't committed an error either, and he committed uh, too many errors prior to that. So seems like he maybe has rounded a corner. And now Jackson Lynn is the last one to get back into – that mix here he had ucl surgery that cost him the conference tournament last year and so that has certainly limited him in a good number of capacities here he's played all year um he has had uh, trouble defensively and he has cost them and cost him kind of quality at bats he started showing signs of changing that here of late um, and so if you can get him back to operational to where you thought he would be, then this lineup is, is where you wanted it this season. And you're talking about May here and you need to win conference games and put yourself in a position on Clearwater. So now's the time. But then you've had a couple veterans. Brady Bear has stepped up big time in the leadoff role. He's one of the best at getting on base in the league. He had never played outfield in his entire life until this March, and now he's not just a corner outfielder, but he's a leadoff batter. Simon Baumgart's the only four-year guy on this team. There are guys who have played four or five years of college ball. He's the only guy that's been here at Tulane for four years, and he has played nearly every position you can think of. He has taken over third base, and he has been as consistent as they come, both in the middle of the lineup and defensively. And so those two have taken really strong steps forward when they weren't necessarily being looked at to do that this year. And that's helped kind of cause some threats in the lineup and allow those younger guys to start getting better opportunities to hit, reading at bats better, reading pitchers and how they might be attacking them better because now there's some protection around them. Brendan Lambert, the catcher has been pretty solid here of late as well. And so you are seeing signs of this two-lane offense really coming back into fold after this team was averaging just shy of five runs a game most of the year, and that's just not going to cut it in college baseball. Now they're averaging about eight, nine runs a game in the last couple of weeks, and they will certainly need to keep that pedal down this weekend. Corey, uh, two guys that you know very well when you're at East Carolina, uh, they actually got good news today first and helped me out. Bubba, that would be Gavin. Gavin Williams uh, was called up to AAA today. And another uh, in the Guardians organization. And then Bryson Worrell today also called up to AA. So two guys you know very well. And they had great news. So I wanted to share that with you. And I can't remember the name of the teams. Bubba, if you can help me off the top of my head. So, But I wanted to share that with you, Corey. Well, for the, for the Braves, for uh, Bryson Worrell, it's Mississippi. And then uh, Corey can probably help me out with Gavin. I know he he had been with the Akron Rubber Ducks. I believe that was their double A yeah. team. I think so, uh, I think Cleveland's triple A is Columbus. I want to say. That sounds um, right. Yeah, that sounds um, right, Corey. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm not shocked by Gavin getting up to AAA by this point. He It seems like he's ascended pretty rapidly from everything I've seen. Um, and, and great for Bryson, too. Like, you talk about a guy that I think pound for pound might have been the most talented player I saw in my time in East Carolina. Even um, more than Burley? Yeah, skill set-wise, yeah. A bit. Bryson's speed, his defensive ability was better than Burleson's. Uh, he was a five-tool guy at East Carolina. And Burleson, for all his – uh, for all his traits, and he's playing Major League Baseball now, he, he wasn't a five-tool guy. Um, Bryson was, like, in terms of just pure talent, that's the most talented pirate I saw in my time there. And so I'm glad that, you know, I think he signed out of college. He didn't, he didn't get drafted. Um, but just everything that he provided – Everything that he was capable of was more than workable on the pro level. So I'm glad that that has um, transpired and he is now double A, you say? I didn't see that. that that's great. And, and one other note on the baseball, um, professional baseball front for former Pirates before we transition over and talk some spring football and NFL draft as it pertains to the Pirates and Green Wave. Um, an, another name, Connor Norby, uh, I've seen him a publication that they fully expect him um, to to be caught up to the Orioles before the end of the 2023 yeah. season. Yeah, Norby actually, by the way, uh, guys, if y'all didn't know, Norby's been playing outfield because the Orioles organization loves his bat so much they want to get him experience in the outfield, and I was really shocked by that. But not surprising, Norby's so good that you could probably put him anywhere. He probably could even pitch if if, uh, if, if you needed him to. I'm trying to remember if he ever played outfield in that freshman year he had, which he didn't play a ton. Um, I don't think he did. Um, but you talk, you talk about a guy that, I mean, he his first year in Greenville was as uh, rough as you would find. And for him to develop into what he's developed into um, is, is really impressive because um, – I mean, his sophomore and his junior years, uh, years now in my time in Greenville are starting to blend together a little bit, but um, there wasn't a, a, a more consistent hard contact hitter than Connor Norby. Like everything he hit was barreled. Um, and to see that after his freshman year was pretty astonishing um, because uh, he, 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 he fought his way for those opportunities and he took advantage. So hopefully it, it works out where he winds up in Baltimore at some point. No question. And Bubba, if you can, can you let Kyle in? He's knocking at the door and uh, I don't have a way to let him in. So can you let Kyle from LaGrange Barber fastly late? He wants to talk to one of his favorite people. There we go. What's going on, guys? Hey, look, for, for first uh, first week back at work since August, so uh, I, I, I'm running on me right now, guys. You're gonna have to forgive me for for being late. Yeah, I apologize. I I was walking and not looking at my phone, just just talking, and uh, did not did not realize you were backstage. Yeah, no, I, I'm arriving late. Like I said, uh, first week back at work since August, so I am worn out every night. Um, Corey, how you doing, man? Hi, Kyle from Lagrange Barber. I'm doing well. How you been doing? Ah, uh, well, you know, I you know, I, I did the whole cancer thing, and now yeah. it's in remission. So, uh, so uh, you can't complain right now. Hopefully, it stays that way. 
Yeah. So, but uh, well, the, that that is, uh, I, I'm thrilled that that is where it is, and hopefully it keeps trending down that path um, because you're you're as good of a man as any here, and so I'm glad that you have battled through that. Well, I appreciate it, Corey. Uh, Looking forward to watching Pirates in the Greenway play some baseball this weekend. It sounds like we're wrapping that discussion up. Moving on to football. Um, so, Dave, do you want to pitch the spring football? Or? Well, actually, before we go to spring ball, uh, the draft obviously getting underway tomorrow. And uh, with that being the case, obviously, uh, Tulane uh, has a very talented running back by the name of Tajay Spears. Um, so, tell us, what are you hearing when do you think Tajay will be selected? Certainly seems like day two is where he's going to fit in pretty snugly here, either, you know, mid to late second or early to mid third is kind of what I think folks here are expecting for Tajay. I, I know that the Saints love him, and so they might try and snag him there on day two. They also have very few running backs to speak of, uh, but that's, Folks here, I think locally, really wanting the local team to draft the local guy. Um, but no, he's he's a day two guy, um, and what he ascended to this year, um, just week to week as the season wound down, and then to have the performance he did in the Cotton Bowl, um, and that came, you know, right before he wowed everyone at the Senior Bowl, and then had a great combine. Um, I mean, you talk about a guy that's just done everything right for this opportunity. Um, I mean, he's going to get a bag and he's going to be very valuable for many, many years in an NFL backfield, whether it's here in New Orleans still or whether, I mean, I would love him on the Bears as a Bears fan. I think he fits beautifully there. Um, and I've told him that, but he doesn't have any control. But um, I mean, w- what he is capable of doing, what he turned into this year. Um, I mean, you're talking about the best player in the league. Uh, no offense to Ivan Pace, uh, the, the defensive player of the year from Cincinnati. But what he did um, was just astounding to watch. And now he's going to, from what he had to battle through with a couple of ACL tears throughout his time playing football and to turn into what he did this year as one of the best to ever be a running back here at Tulane. Um, he, he deserves what's coming here probably Friday. Um, I'd be shocked if he falls to Saturday um, because he's done everything right on the field and off the field to be a day two guy. Yeah, you mentioned that about the Bears. Uh, I think back, what I guess about 15 years ago, I remember uh, watching Forte play for Tulane at Daddy Ficklin against Chris Johnson, uh, two tremendous running backs. Yeah, and uh, there have been some slight Matt Forte comparisons to Tajay here. Uh, and again, that just might be the two-lane connection that's helped that out. But it's hard not to see some comparables there between how Forte ran. Forte was a bigger back, and so he had a little bit more, I think, run-through contact power. Now, you try to arm tackle Tajay, and you were going to lose um, uh, Tajay's ability to read the field, to make cuts, to adjust in the field. Um, was scary, like really scary. And, and so even, even in this day and age when NFL running backs are being asked to diversify their skills a little bit more, you talk about a guy who, who was split out wide for Tulane last year, a good number of times who ran wildcat for Tulane a couple of times. He scored at least half of his touchdowns in the cotton ball off wildcat. And so um, 
he I mean, and he didn't miss a blocking assignment. Like that's something that Willie Fritz was touting for all season and continues to kind of blow that horn entering the draft is that when Tajay Spears was asked to block for Michael Pratt, he blocked like he didn't miss us an assignment all year. And so it's um, like, there's nothing he can't do is if you want him to be a pass catching threat, he caught a game winning touchdown against Houston last year. And he has plenty of a receiving ability. Um, you want him to block, he blocks. You want him to be, a dynamic running back, he'll be that for you. Uh, and there's there's no quit in that motor either. Like he's, uh, you know, I've only been here two years. That's as special a player as I'll I maybe will ever see here at Tulane. I mean, it, it was it was insane to watch him. No doubt about it. In fact, uh, as far as the Pirates are concerned, we're hearing Keaton Mitchell may go third round, um, but that's the highest I've heard and. The player that's surprising, but we shouldn't be surprised, Holt Naylor's name. Uh, my prediction was seventh round, but after he's uh, he's been the Birmingham Bowl MVP, he was MVP of the Hula Bowl down in Orlando, and then the NFL PA Bowl in Pasadena, he was the MVP. So three MVPs postseason, and all of a sudden the kid is starting to pick up his draft stock is going up. Big body, lefty. And the premium on quarterbacks, I think, has worked very much in Holton's favor here. Um, you know, everything, I, you know, I, I read a little bit of draft stuff, but not a ton. But everyone's saying the quarterback class is weak. And I don't know how true that is. It's just different types of guys. Um, but, um, you know, the mobility of Ehlers doesn't hurt either. Now that NFL coaches are, are more tend to lean towards um, letting quarterbacks also be athletes a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, I think that has all worked in his favor here to maybe be drafted on, on Saturday. Keaton Mitchell doesn't surprise me. I mean, I mean, that speed is deadly. And so, um, you know, there, there's a place for that speed somewhere uh, on a pro roster, whether it's a pump returner, whether it is, uh, whether it's some form of running back, whether it's, uh, you know, God, where else could he put him? I mean, you, that speed is is usable on a pro level. And so um, that one doesn't surprise me. No, keep Corey get drafted. Holton will probably get drafted. Uh, we had a couple receivers. Uh, Isaiah Winstead, who was transferred from Toledo. He's a senior. Uh, you know, I'm surprised he hasn't gotten many mentions. I don't know if any of you guys have heard about uh, what his draft stock is, but it looks like he's going to have to go the free agent route. But he's got incredible yeah. hands. He catches everything. And then C.J. Johnson came out early, and I think C.J. is going to be another one that's going to end up going the free agent route. And I, I really believe C.J. made a mistake. I think one more year here, uh, from not only from a playing standpoint, just getting better as a player, but from a maturity standpoint, I think one more year in Greenville would have benefited him tremendously. Hey, man, Kyle, I can't agree more. I, I think that, you know, here's the kid who was kicked off the team and not to bring up a negative thing, but just for if you're drafting someone, you need to know about their character. I don't think he's a bad kid. I think he is, you know, no, like CJ's a good kid. He's just, he's immature. Joker. Yeah, he's yes. immature. He reminds me a lot of, of myself at that age. Oh, man. <laughs> you're not I a jerk, Kyle. Do what? I'm, you're not a jerk. You're not I'm, a jerk. I don't, I don't think CJ's a jerk. I just think you're just opinionated. 
I, I think CJ. I, I don't think I don't think CJ's a jerk. I think CJ, just like I was in my twenties, short tempered, immature, uh, goes off. What's of, changed? Do what? <laughs> well, what's changed? <laughs> Dave, you knew me when I was a kid, and you know me now. You missed my twenties, my friend. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> now, Corey, kind of along the same lines, that question or you know the statements that Kyle was making as far as other pirates, in addition to Keaton Mitchell. Outside of Tajay Spears, you know, who are some other Green Wave players that, that may get drafted or sign as free agents? Dorian Williams will get drafted, linebacker. Uh, and I'm I'm now seeing him, you know, some mocks have him in the third round. I thought he was going to – I, I kind of saw him as an early day three guy, a fourth or fifth rounder. Um, but he is uh, – the, the way I, I would kind of equate Dorian Williams, I mean, he, he saved his best for last uh, in 19 tackles in the Cotton Bowl for a career high. Um, and he is a, a guy who is a prototypical linebacker, but has secondary speed. Um, and so if he is asked to move around in an NFL defensive backfield, he can do so. Um, and so he, he's the, he's another for sure draft pick. Um, those two are locks to be drafted here out of Tulane. Beyond that, I think you're you're starting to um, look at some signees. I, I I would not write off Macon Clark, the nickelback of being a, a late day three draft pick. Um, he was asked to play three different positions in his time at Tulane. He was a nickel, he was a safety, free safety, and he was a corner, true corner. And he was terrific at all three. Um, and, and the way that Tulane played defense last year, in which it was dropped at least seven, if not eight, into coverage the whole time. Macon Clark was the one kind of in charge of roaming around and finding the ball carrier or the receiver almost first. And so um, he took that role with the plum. And so I, I, the, the, his size, his speed, the way he hits, the way he covers, um, there, I think there's a place for him there. Uh, I, and I hope he gets a, a nod late in day three. Um, Dorian Williams running mate, Nick Anderson, the, the, the other linebacker. Um, uh, I mean, he's, uh, he won't be drafted and I, 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 that's a shame because the teams will see his size and he's not the biggest dude in the world. He's six foot one and, you know, two twenty, two thirty, somewhere around there. Um, but without him, there's no conference championship. There's no Cotton Bowl. There, there's none of that. Like he, he was the heart and soul of this team, and he, he knew how to hit and he knew how to cover as well. And so, I get the sense he will sign somewhere. He was too talented and too important to a very good Tulane team to not get a look by someone. And the fact that he and Dorian Williams were the best one-two linebacker duo. I mean, certainly in the league, and I'll put them top five in the country last year, um, then that, that's going to get some heads turned his way too. Like he did nothing to dissuade himself from not getting a shot at the next level. I just don't think it'll be a draft pick. Well, we're transitioning over to spring ball. Um, obviously, East Carolina, one of the big storylines for the Pirates, uh, who completed spring ball about a week and a half ago, is the quarterback position, Holt Naylor's. Leaving uh, after five seasons, Mason Garcia, Alex Flynn vying for that spot. Michael Pratt returns for the Green Wave. So, you know, tell us, uh, obviously, that that's so big for Willie Fritz and company, but um, you know, bring us up to date on the Green Wave. When do they have spring practice and then any coaching changes, things of that nature? 
spring ball's done here in New Orleans. It ended about a month ago. They went really early this year. They had their game. Goodness, I was I wasn't able to get to the game because I was with baseball on a road trip. But they played at the end of March, and so they really knocked it out fast. Um, and yeah, to have Michael Pratt return was, um, I mean that 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 resets the um, the expectations again for Tulane. It will make them. Um, it'll make it repeat expectations one, now that he's back. And you lose Tajay Spears, you lose your linebackers. Um, but when you have Michael Pratt still there operating the proceedings, you feel a lot more comfortable uh, about how that offense might look next year. Even if you have some questions about the backfield, and there are a couple of guys who were behind Spears last year. Shoddy Clayton Johnson had some moments. Iverson Celestine, I think, is a pretty good runner, just struggles with holding on to the football. And they brought in a, a freshman by the name of Arnold Barnes, who really showed out in spring ball, just a big bowling ball of a human, but had agility. Um, and then Makai Hughes, a guy who was injured all last year, but he was really wowing them before um, the season started in fall camp and they blew out his ACL. I think they, they have some high hopes for him too. And so I think they feel okay about the backfield behind Michael Pratt. The offensive line is by and large staying intact. Um, and, and you got a couple shifts in the wide receiver core that they'll need to sort out. You lose your top two tight ends, um, and, and tight ends weren't really utilized a ton last year in the offense. That might change this year a little bit. We'll see because you have some better pass catching tight ends than maybe the two old guys you had last year. And then the, defensively, you know, you lose Williams and you lose Anderson. You got two two guys in Jesus Machado and Corey Platt. Uh, in the linebacking core that did good work as the second string team last year. And then they brought in a guy from Louisiana Tech and Tyler Grubbs, who was uh, one of the better tacklers in Conference USA last year. And they bring him home. He's a New Orleans kid. So they're they're um, they're interested in that. I think they like him quite a bit. Um, they Their two corners are back. Jarius Monroe is a conference first teamer last year. And then Lance Robinson on the other side. They feel good about where that sits. Defensive line is pretty well all returning. Um, and but it's, it is a new defensive coordinator. We look, we lose Chris Hampton to Oregon. Um, and so Sheila Wood comes over from Troy. Um, and that was a top 15 defense last year that the Trojans had. And so we'll see if it's still going to be kind of the zone coverage defense that Tulane just gave teams fits with last year, or if it's going to be more of a cover defense, more of a pressure defense, like it was a couple of years ago. Um, Defense, as it tends to do in spring ball, looked a step ahead than of the offense. Uh, that's just kind of nature of the beast in, in March and April. Um, but the fact that you have new voices now and a couple of key pieces they replace in there and it still looked pretty fluid, uh, I think that that allows Willie Fritz to sleep a little bit more soundly at night at this time of year. Well, you said a lot when you said you got uh, most of your line back, your D line back, and your quarterback back. That's that's a that's a uh, up the middle, yeah. yeah. Yeah, having your lines of your quarterback to get a recipe to repeat the conference champions. Of course, I hope you don't, but uh, that's only because I hope we do. Uh, but we got a lot to replace. That's probably lofty goals for us. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple of interesting, just just in my mind questions, and sure. one of them is not uh, one of them's not super super out there. Uh, it's when you've probably been asked a lot. Are you surprised Willie Fritz didn't get more overtures from schools uh, during the off season? I I only saw his name come up for Georgia Tech, nowhere else. Um, I'm not because he, you know, that was a pretty chaotic week and that was leading up to the conference championship game when the Georgia tech stuff come came out. Um, and he, 
um, he nipped that in the bud pretty quick that week um, about he was staying at Tulane. And so I think that shielded any other overtures from any other um, schools from from going after him. Um, now, did he talk to Georgia Tech? Yes, that's well known. Um, if they had lost to Cincinnati the weekend before and not played for a conference championship, would he still be the two-lane coach? I think that's a fair question because the, the, the biggest hang-up that I have heard, um, other than like just kind of getting resources set here at Tulane, the locker rooms being renovated here now, like just, you know, plans are, are now firmly in place to, to get an indoor kind of inflatable practice bubble on campus here, which we don't have a, an indoor facility. We use the Saints facility if we need to. Um, but that's all now really steamrolling forward. And that was part of the discussion, no question. Um, bigger pool of money for his assistant coaches was a big discussion, making sure the NIL collective here really stayed at the forefront. And that's been a pretty good collective here uh, around the American, the one that Tulane has here. Um, but Georgia Tech wanted him to come over immediately, and they weren't willing to wait until the conference championship game was over. Willie Fritz is a man of, I hate to use the phrase man of integrity, because that makes it sound like they're villains here in all this case. That's not what I mean. But he was not going to leave that team prior to a conference championship game. Not after what happened the year before with Hurricane Ida and a 2-10 and ten year. Not after what he saw that team turn into this year. Not after building for seven years to get that team in that spot. That was never on the table. And the fact that Georgia Tech was pretty persistent about that, that was your deal breaker. Like, that, that was it right there. Were there other things that were maybe discussed that are outside my knowledge? Sure. Um, but if... Um, if Georgia Tech was willing to wait a week, then maybe Willie Fritz is there. But they didn't. They didn't want to wait. And and I get it because the transfer portal window opened, I think, that Monday after the conference championship weekend. And so they needed to get going and figure out what they were going to do. Um, but Willie Fritz, that was never going to be a possibility that he was going to leave that team before that game, especially in New Orleans and what that game meant to that city after 25 years of just kind of not being in the mix, that game meant the world to this city, and he was going to see that through. Coach Chris is a great coach. Followed his career for a long time before he was at Tulane. Um, so, uh, and, and I think Coach Houston's cut from a similar mold, similar background. Yeah. Coach Fritz. He, um, uh, Fritz and I have talked to this about, about the, he loves Coach Houston, and he has referred to that as well, Kyle, about how it's very similar paths of where they are together right now. And so there, there's nothing but respect from Coach Fritz to what Coach Houston has had to navigate through to get to East Carolina and now what he's been able to do with that program. Yeah. Yeah. You talk, you talk about the, uh, you talk about Willie Fritz. Uh, he, can you imagine having the program he's built at Tulane and then you go to a dumpster fire like Georgia Tech? I'm sorry, but it, it, it all starts at the top. Look who they hired for athletic directors. I wouldn't want that guy to. Uh, I wouldn't want that guy to walk my dog, even though I don't have one. But if I did, I, I got one. Want him to I don't want him to walk mine. Yeah, I mean, come on. Um, he's a resume builder. He has done nothing. He he built a uh, basically the town bank tower. We owe a lot of money for just so he can build his resume. Um, but anyway, he's good with uh, moving with rich people, Dave. He's really good at that. Yeah. So, well, and, and yeah, but, what I'll say from this more. end of things, what I'll say from this end of things, and, and I, I've never met Jay Bat. My my time at East Carolina did not overlap with his. Um, but 
fit wise, it does make sense why Georgia Tech would reach out to two lane coaches. You were talking about very similar recruiting yep. requirements, cost, resources for what conferences they're in, and now Academics. both are getting more resources, academic requirements. It, it aligns. And that is why, you know, Willie Fritz was the first of two coaches here at Tulane that a lot of people here in town were fearing. Georgia Tech was going to come grab, and Ron Hunter was the other, um, and that didn't happen either. So Tulane, frankly, dodged two bullets uh, from a lot of perspective here from Georgia Tech this year because uh, I, they went after Willie Fritz. We knew that. Um, I think they they were very interested in Ron Hunter before they they called up and talked with Damon Stoudemire. Um, and so, and Ron Hunter has a great track record in Atlanta and what he's built here with this program, this team won 20 games here, and that is unheard of for Tulane basketball. And so, um, it, it makes complete sense. And that is why they were kind of walking at eggshells here in December. And then also in March here about whether or not, uh, those two guys are going to be sticking around here in uptown New Orleans and they both are. And so that, that sets up Tulane in a really good spot here with now a new look league coming this fall to, to make it a, you know, make a stand here in football and now hopefully make a charge further up in basketball in a league that um, might actually be a little bit deeper than the one that we've seen over the last couple of years. So uh, it's, things are feeling good right now here at Tulane. And that's because the, the two guys that has mentioned, um, they're still here, uh, despite some inroads from Georgia Tech on maybe trying to pry them out of here. You're talking about Ron Hunter and talking about the, the, the basketball league being deeper. Yeah, the basketball league, when you first look at it, it loses some sex appeal, but because Cincinnati's gone, Houston's gone, et cetera. But when you, when you look at the, the quality, you got Florida Atlantic with the Final Four, North Texas won the NIT, UAB played the NIT Finals. So it, it's going to be a good basketball league. And speaking of winning 20 games, I got a bold prediction. I, I think we finally have a great basketball coach, the right basketball coach, and I think the Pirates will be doing the same for too long. But I wanted to ask you one more kind of – this is my kind of off-the-cuff question, Corey. This is the one that you, you may or may not have been – you know, no one may have even mentioned this. It might not even be talked at Tulane. This may be coming out of nowhere for me. But as I look at conference realignment and I, I, I look around the country at different leagues doing things, and I, I haven't heard this mentioned, but it just crosses my mind. You know, I think the Pac-12 will end up surviving, but I do think they're going to be down to, to four to six teams. Um, do, do, I, I have a feeling they're going to come east a lot, and I've heard SMU mentioned. Do you foresee or have you heard any rumors of, with the New Orleans media market, Tulane football being on the rise, uh, academics always important to the Pac-12. Am I out of my mind of thinking that could be a possibility down the road? No, I don't think you're out of your mind, Kyle. Uh, I think it would depend on, I think, the status of the Pac-12. And I haven't heard anything. Like, I don't know if there has been any discussion. Um, I know when the, the thing started reshuffling, a year and a half ago, um, I think we, like East Carolina, tried to, to find a way to a different league, um, and that didn't work, obviously. Um, you know, if, if the Pac-12 does kind of reach out this far, um, the, we, we do have a lot that's appealing here, especially right now with, with, a, with a Cotton Bowl um, and, and a pretty solid basketball program by this point, um, and a good media market that is sitting in 
very close proximity to SEC territory. And so, um, yeah, I think there's a we could certainly put a portfolio together here to that would be appealing to some other leagues. Um, the question would be whether or not a, a jump up in maybe conference name recognition would outweigh what would come on top of that, which is say say hypothetically you jump into the Pac-12. Um, is it going to stay with the teams that exist there now, plus an SMU and a San Diego State, which seem like they're about to go? Um, or are the, you know, is Oregon and Washington going to leave and follow the, the SoCal schools to the Big Ten? Or is Arizona and those four corner schools, are they going to bolt to the Big 12, which is being talked about a lot? Like, and if that's the case, then what is the league you're a part of all of a sudden? Um, and a league that, you know, right now, can't find a television deal and that's the whole name of the game right now for all the you know for however you feel about the television deal with the american it's a pretty good one for a league this size and and it far trumps where you know other group of five quote unquote schools are the pac-12 can't find a deal right now and so like you're in a pretty good position not just with Tulane, but but in this league currently for eyes exposure um and if the Pac-12 completely reshifts like people think it might, how much of a benefit is jumping in that league going to be if you're Tulane when instead of traveling to East Carolina or to Temple, you are traveling to Washington State or Cal? Like uh, what? what is the, you know, what balance is out there? Like uh, is is that worth um, the the travel costs? Is it worth, you know, um, maybe a few more eyes on the West Coast. That's that's a numbers game that I don't have. And so uh, what I can say is I think, you know, I don't know if we've talked to anybody in, in this recent batch of success that Tulane has had. Um, I think we have a good case to make should that uh, opportunity come to a table. Um, it, it will all depend on, you know, we Tulane actually has some chips and some cards to play here. Um, if they feel like trying to play them um, and how they navigate that uh, will be pretty fascinating to me. It will depend a lot about how um, how leagues might be looking here, not just what Tulane thinks will be a good move. Yeah, and no doubt. And I, and I think we can all pretty much say Oregon and Washington are gone. I think that's just a matter of it being official. You know, it, it'll be interesting to see just, just from if, if the four corner schools the Utah, the Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, if they hit to the pack or to the Big Twelve, at that point the, the league's left with what uh two teams, four teams? Uh four teams. Yeah, four, right? four, yeah. Oregon State, Washington State, Stanford, Cal. So, um, you know, if you bring in SMU, Mount West schools, Tulane, you know, I don't know. It, it is that more attractive than the American. I it would have more name recognition. I guess it really what it's gonna all come down to would be T V money. It, yeah, you know, yeah. if if the new Pac-12 could get you know fifteen million, twenty million per, and we're still sitting at seven, eight million per, I think you know Tulane would have to do it. But I'm sitting here just I, this is pure speculation on my part. I'm just yeah. except for Oregon and uh, except for Oregon and Washington, I, I think that's beyond speculation. I think that's all but done. Yeah, that's a that's a done deal. Um, in fact, guys. Uh, Corey, would love to have you back in July because July and August, it, it sounds like from what I'm hearing that we're going to see some more dominoes fall, more realignment this summer with uh, television contracts ending and 23 is uh, 
seems like it's going to be another exciting summer. Yeah, exciting is one word. I, I've grown <laughs> weary of this. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm going to get through the the you know the the rest of this baseball season, and then I get to figure out now a brand new league essentially uh, in the American, and so um, for a bunch of sports, and so I, I'd like to at least have a little bit of time to kind of you know, sit back with a cup of coffee and figure out what a, a new 14 team American is going to resemble here uh, before more talk begins. But I'm a, I'm humble radio broadcaster. I have no say in the matter here. It's going to happen if it's going to happen. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, by this point we are long past the stage of, um, you know, adults coming together and realizing that what's happening here isn't great. Uh, like we're beyond that, like that's broken now. Like people are going to do what they need to do here or what they think they need to do. And if that means, you know, UCLA plays Rutgers in soccer, then that's going to happen. Like it's, you know, that's, that's where we are. Money talks, TV talks. And so, yeah, maybe by this time in uh, four months, then we're, we're talking about a, a completely new PAC 12. I don't know. I, I, I'm weary of it. <laughs> Well, the the fact is that the uh, UCLA and USC with the money they were, can, can get for the Big Ten, the problem is travel costs. So that's why the Big Ten is going to offer the Oregon, the Washington, maybe even I'm hearing Corey Stanford and Cal could also get nods because of not only the academics, but that would be two more yeah. teams. And so you're going, oh, my gosh. Like, well, it, Dave, they take four. If the Big Ten takes four. And then the then you're gonna have the other four go to the uh, the Big Twelve. That'll leave two in the Pac Twelve. Pac Twelve's done. Uh, they would dissolve the league at that point. Those two would end right. up in the Mountain West. Yeah, so that's why I'm like, if that's true, I I believe the Oregon and Washington scenario. I don't believe Stanford and Cal until I see it. I definitely believe the four corner schools are going to the Big Twelve. I I think that's only a formality because when the Big Ten commissioner, Big Twelve commissioner says. We're open for business. I, I think expansion, that's exactly what he means. Expand, expand, expand. And the Big 12 two years ago, I thought was dead on arrival. I thought they were dead, and boy, was I wrong. There was rumblings about the American absorbing some of the Big 12 schools, if you remember. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, the, because they're worried about things like Kansas leaving for the Big Ten and maybe taking a, a Kansas State with them or um, something along those lines. And then, um, and so, yeah, for a couple of days, it was, well, is the American going to swoop in and grab like a TCU and a Baylor and a Texas Tech and an Oklahoma State and all that stuff. And then uh, the reverse happened. They took three of our schools. And so, um, yeah, that was when the allegations came out from the Big 12 that the American was working in uh, cahoots with ESPN to try and make that happen. If you remember that, yeah, fun. that's only okay Nothing. if you're a power conference. You, you, you yeah. can't ever, yeah, you, you can't ever try to better yourself. If you're already in that position, then you can snatch and steal. It, uh, it's what fans crave: legalese and uh, and and a realignment. This is what this is what you become a sports fan for. <laughs> Not hardly. It is interesting discussion, though. I yes. think I think it will, it will end the realignment talk. I do think, in my opinion, the one league that got it right because they went with college towns and geographics, I love what the Sun Belt's done. And I'll keep saying it and I'll keep banging that drum. If uh, if the American TV money goes away, 
I, I'd rather go to the Sun Belt. Uh, I think it's more appealing to play Marshall and Southern Miss and Appalachian State. No offense. Uh, I just, if, if the money ever goes away in the American, I, I really believe we're going to end up in the Sun Belt. Well, I agree with you on that. We, uh, like, we here, we see, it, you know, baseball is the sport. I'll, I'll, like, we play Southern Miss in football again this coming year, but they're, they're yeah, an old. Yeah, I got that one circled. I know. Good God. Yeah, and, and they're an old rival of ours, too. But we also yeah. play South Alabama this year. Um, And then in baseball, like, we're around, like, we just played Southern Miss last night. We play Southern Miss again next Tuesday. We go to South Alabama in two weeks. We played Louisiana already this year. And so we see um some of these sunbelt schools and everyone that i've talked to from these places just kind of love what's happened to that league um and yeah i think that's the one that's kind of holding on to I, I think what made all of us college sports fans um and, and you know i i come from a rural school in the mac and they've kind of held firm with what they do um and so like yeah the, that will always have a soft spot for me the type of league that the Sun Belt has turned into um and on top of it they have some pretty damn good sports now and they go way deep with these sports as well like football is very good now basketball is not too bad baseball is incredible in that league and so um what they've done here is they've kind of tapped in to uh, I think the origin of what made us college sports fans, whether you went to that school or you just kind of lived in that area and you related to them um, and, and it's working like it's working for them. I'll, I'll commend them from top to bottom about what they built there um, in the Sun Belt because I, I think they got something pretty special. Yeah, no, I agree. They, everybody, everybody else is going left and they took a right. Yeah. Well, I think uh, no doubt I like the Sun Belt as far as the teams, but I really believe Oresco, uh, ESPN told Oresco to take those teams. So they're not going to tell him to take those teams and give us less money later on. I, really well, I, think, that, I think it's pretty well known that he has, the, the Sun Belt has a deal with ESPN too. And so exactly. I think pretty well known by this point that uh, the, the American was, I think, kindly encouraged to not go down that path. Like Old Dominion, like – would have made sense for this league. I, I would maintain South Alabama with the way that this league is constructed. That makes sense with a pretty good market. Like UAB is, a, I think, a home run get for the American. That one makes sense. Um, but um, yeah, I think I, I, I wouldn't shock me if we were kind of in a nudge to Conference USA for uh, the restocking of the league here because, uh, again, TV kind of controls the whole deal. And when one media partner has two of these leagues and Conference USA is with CBS, I think. Uh, like primary, Pro, their, their primary deals with CBS Sports. They have a secondary deal with ESPN. Yeah, their TV uh, deal is a mess. Yeah, and and so it was easy for those schools to want to leave it. Like it's, um, and so now they will come in here, and I think what that will turn into is like we talked about with basketball. You may lose the sexy name at the top, but I think you wind up with a pretty deep league in that sport, and it's not too bad either in football. And, I mean, I think it, it winds up pretty, being a pretty deep league in baseball when all is said and done, too, for the sports that, you know, I work with, for the sports a lot of your your fans care about, what East Carolina fans care about. I think the, the new-look American will actually look pretty dang good um, and be pretty challenging to navigate through. Um, it's whether or not I think fans will get fully on board with it. That will That's always been the question in the American. It's been such a transient league since its inception. 
Um, and now will will they stick with it? Because if they stick with it, I think there is something pretty good possible here in a lot of these these upper tier sports for this league moving forward. Yeah, I think baseball and basketball actually are, are going to be. I, I'm actually looking forward to the league. Yeah. My problem is, and a lot of pirate problem fans' problem is football, and it's because you know, besides Tulane and Memphis and Navy and Temple, there's really nobody SMU. else. I really don't care about playing SMU. I mean, I respect SMU's football program, but you know, they're Dallas. You know, we didn't. You know, we've only been playing SMU since '05. We, you know, we've been playing Tulane since Jesus was a boy. So, I mean, even though E. Grable and New Orleans a long ways away, the history goes back, you know, to the independent days. So, I I just, there's no appeal to playing Charlotte in football. There's no, you know, God, we hate that. We that That's the one. If we could re- just change Charlotte to you or, or, or yeah, App, take I mean, that one. yeah, you're to Charlotte. And, you know, I, I think maybe there's some appeal down the road. Um you know, we with Florida Atlantic, I, you know, I, I think they have a chance to maybe really grow their football program. UTSA is really good and got a great fan base, but how do you how do you create a rivalry with a school in San Antonio when you're in Greenville? Um, it, it, it's not going to happen. Um, you know, this, despite their fan base, and I think it's a good ad. I think UTSA was a good ad. I, I would have added them. They would have been on my list. So, you know, there, there are certain teams we added that I personally would have added: UTSA, UAB, Florida Atlantic would be those three. Uh, the other three, I think, were bad ads. I think uh, the, the rivalries have to form by um, by by winning. Like that's that's where I think it, it has to breed now. And it's been what we're about to enter the tenth year of this league, kind of at least the tenth year of Tulane being involved in it. I think Tulane and East Carolina came in at the same time, um, and so you know, yeah, like a Louisville and a Rutgers in there at the very start of it, but um, but the way this league has felt, I mean, yeah, I I don't know if I could tell you who Tulane's rival would be in, in <laughs> many of these sports. I, I mean, I would we, we talked about this before you jumped on, Kyle, but Tulane and ECU have had a good baseball rivalry over the years. Yeah, um, but you know, who's our arch nemesis in basketball or in basketball right now? I mean, we we keep whipping Memphis the last couple of years, and then they got us in the conference tournament pretty bad. So maybe that's our rival right. in this league. Um, in football, I mean, SMU maybe for football. Yeah, I mean, we never liked Houston, but now they're leaving. I mean, we beat Cincinnati in their place, and now they're leaving. Like we beat UCF for the title, now they're leaving. So. Um, who who will we look to to kind of get the fire brewing for for football? I don't know. Um, but we're also well, well, we're also in the point where everyone's going to be chasing us. Like I mean, and so something's going to come out of that naturally coming this fall. And so, um, so yeah, I know our fans kind of feel in, in similar mold uh, in, in some respects to what fans at East Carolina probably think because. Um, I mean, we saw fans here that remember, like, we played LSU every sport and every year. Like, and that doesn't happen anymore, and they don't like that. Like, we see Southern Miss in some sports, but not all of them, and they don't like that. Um, And and so, yeah, we don't have the same kind of heated rivalries that permeates the history of this athletic department anymore. Um, And so that means you got to find ways to make new ones, and that comes from winning that comes from heated battles that comes from seeing each other in conference tournaments, seeing each other in conference championship games and, um, and just forming bad blood some way, somehow they're not going to be close to each other, 
Um, but you can find a way to do it. Yeah, no, you can. And, and that, and then we'll, we'll get off this move on. But the one thing that I really think we should have added and, and I know media market, media market, media market, but Southern Mississippi has so much history with Tulane, with Memphis and with East Carolina. You talk about creating a rivalry that doesn't make any geographical sense. East Carolina, Southern Miss, that was, you know, that was our biggest football rival outside of NC oh, yeah. State and yeah. UNC for years. So, and, you know, you guys play, you know, you Southern Miss is two lane battle, battle for the bell, Southern yeah. Miss Memphis, the black and blue game. I mean, to me, I know everybody's so damn worried about media market, but you could have gotten media markets with Birmingham, with, with, uh, with, uh, with San Antonio, with the Buck or Ton Florida market. It's still, you know, you didn't have to go all media markets. I, I really would have liked to see Southern Miss reunited with, uh, you know, with with uh, with with Memphis ECU Tulane and continue their rivalry with UAB. Okay, I, I killed the show. With that. <laughs> no yeah, I, I have no, I have no follow up to that one. I think I mean I think we our fans would have loved that. Um, our because, fans would have yeah, too. I mean, yeah. yeah, and and um, yeah, but you hit the nail on the head and why they weren't. I think they're very happy in the Sun Belt now, just by talking to some of their people yesterday. They um, are. And, the, the, you know, we added how many three teams from Texas. And I know that was important for the American as well to try and keep as strong a foothold in that state for football recruiting purposes. Like, I know that was a deal. And so that's why North Texas is here. Um, and that's why Rice is here. Um, and, and, you know, and, and Tulane and Rice have a pretty good rivalry, especially in the baseball diamond going back for a few years. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't think people here hate that ad. Um, but yeah, I mean, what you're saying, you're, you're, you're kind of saying things that a lot of people here have said as well. Um, Tulane's in a spot where, um, I think they're comfortable with what's coming here in the league because now in in a couple of their big sports, they are actually thriving here or succeeding at the minimum. Um, and so now they, they are, I think they're intrigued to see what will come with all these new teams. And maybe that means new rivalries develop. Uh, Corey, as we wrap this up, I appreciate that. Just looking at the time, and uh, you always sort of go over time with us, so I appreciate that very much. Uh, just talk about what you've got coming up after. I know we have, obviously, the baseball season, but what are you doing this, this summer? Are you doing anything for fun? Uh, tell us about your Corey Galore's summer. You know, <laughs> the Corey Galore summer, the wild girl summer. <laughs> um, you know, you know, I, I honestly, right now there, I don't have, uh, I don't have much on the calendar. Once baseball's done, I'm pretty much, uh, I'm, I'm kind of powered down. I kind of go in cryogenic stasis until end of July when our football banquet kicks up and our football camp begins. Um, so I, I my niece is going to be in a production of Oliver back home in Illinois. And so I'll probably go see her sing for food. Um, and so that's coming up at the end of, end of June. Um, and so, yeah, I'll sneak home for a little bit, most likely here, um, and, uh, and and see what happens beyond that. But, yeah, there's not a ton um, right now on the Corey Glore summer that is scheduled. And I, I like it that way. I'll, I'll get something on the books. But right now, I also don't know when I'll be free to start. Um, so I got to wait until baseball comes to its end, and then I know when I'm I have some free time, and then I will I will go from there. Corey, do you care? Uh, I'm assuming you're you're staying in New Orleans. Do you care to speculate on who's going to be the new voice of the Pirates? 
I I got nothing for you on that one, Mr. Barber. Uh, I, I have heard, it, it, If you want it, Kyle, I'll put in a resume. Um, All right, I'll do it. Yeah, uh, I have not heard anything about it. Um, and so I, 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 I got nothing for you. Well, you know, everybody had their wish list. You were, you're, you're at the top of everybody's wish list. Um, I'm not even going to have that discussion with you. Uh, but the, the, another guy that I I'd love to see come here. If it's not Corey Glore is, uh, God, I'm having a brain for homie at Campbell, Dave. Hey, Chris, help me Chris Haymeyer. Chris Haymeyer. Yeah. I'd love to see Haymeyer come here. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I haven't talked to really anybody uh, about this. I don't well, get know. Get on the what... phone with Haymeyer, see if you can make it happen. Yeah, I'll, I'll give Haymeyer a call and just poke his brain and see what uh, – we actually played Campbell baseball this year here in New Orleans, but the, but Campbell didn't bring any radio for that because it overlapped with basketball still. And so I thought I was going to see, like, maybe a Chris was going to come down for that trip or, or an Evan Budrovich, but um, I wasn't able to catch up with those guys. So I, I don't know if – Maybe one of them will be doing like TV this weekend at Clark O'Claire. I know Patrick Johnson does a lot of it. Um, and so yeah. I don't know who I'll see this weekend over there. But um, no, I mean, I, I don't know where things are with that. I, I am wildly happy here. Um, and so like that's that's where my position is on the matter. So he took his name out of considerations where he still didn't tell it, Um yeah, like the uh, I have my thoughts on things, but I'm going to keep that to myself because um, that's knowing stuff behind the scenes a little bit. I I, I could speculate, but I'm not going to do that. But I uh, definitely we uh, thank a lot of you, obviously Corey. And there's a lot of people that are have asked me like I have some knowledge, and I'm like I this is what I tell people. Corey is a single guy. He's young. He's in New Orleans. What do you think? Like, it's not a defense to East Carolina or Greenville. It's just like, if you're in New Orleans where there's a lot of happening stuff there, um, I just can't imagine you coming back. That's what I tell people. So. I uh, I appreciate you calling me young um, because I'll tell you what, my allergies today have knocked me flat. And so yeah. uh, I certainly haven't felt young today, but thank you for that, Dave. Um, no, I, you know, whatever happens with that job, um, uh, there, there are some mighty big shoes to fill. There's no question. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, and I think that is well known by this point. And so, um, you know, whoever is there putting that headset on, I would imagine it, it should be in the Jeff Charles radio booth when they walk in. Um, I agree. So whoever, um, whoever has that position, um, you know, they, they will serve East Carolina very, very well, not for the least of which the man who preceded them. Corey, you'll be able to answer this, um, and then we'll let you go. Uh, how much will play fly, and how much will East Carolina have, have, have a say in that decision? Will it be all I, East Carolina? Will it be some play fly, or do you, do you know? I mean, you I have no idea. IMG, right? Yeah, I, I work with Learfield, and so I only I only know what Learfield and Tulane do, and Learfield kind of in general what they do. I, I have no experience with Playfly, um, and so I don't know what the the details would be with that. Okay, I think I think they they should get Playfly should get the job to Kyle from Lagrange. I think it would be very entertaining. I think people would listen. Some people would really like it, and some people wouldn't. So the great thing about it is the ratings will be very high. Um, on his commentary, so I think they should give the job to Kyle from Lagrange. That's my vote. All right, Dave. Tremendous. 
Oh, man. Well, Corey, uh, how can people hear your work, obviously, this weekend? I look forward to seeing you in the press box. Kyle won't come to the press box, but I'll definitely see you uh, there in uh, in the press box this weekend. Yeah, I, d- I don't even know what booth I sit in there this weekend. I, I This will be my first time back in that ballpark. Oh, since yeah. I, what, so what booth do I have there? I've used all of them, by and large. Um, I might just take over a booth. Like, I don't know which one I get. Um <laughs> Let's see. I don't go to that part of the. I don't go to that part of the press box. Like, I'm just is it right still? There. Is it still past the main press area? You keep walking yes. through. Okay. Yeah. Um. So that that hasn't changed. Um. So there's like two doors I get to choose from, and I got to pick the right one. Um, That's right. It's kind of unless like they renovated, but I have no idea. Um. Let's see. I, I don't know if you feel like if you feel like diving into uh to Corey Galore calling baseball this weekend. I think the Varsity Network is the way to do that. Um. That's where all the games will be for free. Um, yeah, that's that's the way to listen. And then um, your usual social media fun stuff, Corey Glore and Twitter and Instagram. I'll be tweeting my photos and all that stuff from the from high top Clark LeClaire. And um, yeah, should be a, should be an intriguing weekend here. Um, this is probably not the time to I would want to see East Carolina, but they're going to see him. And if they want to really learn how to win um and it has been many lessons sent to this team over the course of this year from some high caliber teams um they're going to get another one this weekend and you're going to get a team that's also i would imagine pretty dang angry over the last week and so um that coupled with what the crowds will be at clark leclerc um it's a hornet's nest uh for Tulane, and so they're going to get a crash course here this weekend and if they want to better their position in the league, then um, this is a team you got to pick off in some capacity. So I'm I'm very fascinated to see what's going to happen. Corey, can we send movie lines to you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, when I was on the air Sunday in Cincinnati, there, there's I think there's only one real phrase I use that I would call a catchphrase of mine, and that was after a three pitch strikeout. I would say good afternoon, good evening, and good night. And I then had to explain where that came from because I've had many fans tell me I'm saying the saying wrong because they think it's good morning, good afternoon, good night. But no, it's from a movie. And so I did go on that that diatribe during Sunday's game in Cincinnati. And so I still work one in on the regular. Um, but okay. uh, yeah, by all means, fire lines my way. Let's see if I can drop them in. I gotta gotta <laughs> grease the wheels on that. It's been a while. <laughs> all right, Corey. Thank you for the extended visit. We appreciate you. Look forward to seeing you at the press box this weekend. And always, uh, you're always welcome. You know that. Don't be a stranger. We'll talk to you hopefully soon in the next couple of days. Yeah, boys. Thank you again for having me on. And I will see you and talk to you from Clark O'Claire this weekend. All right, man. Take care. Have yeah. safe travels. All right, thanks, Corey. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, appreciate him very much. I know before we go, Bubba, we're going to talk uh, a few plugs and then get out of here. Yeah, obviously, uh, as we've mentioned, the NFL draft uh, begins tomorrow, uh, Thursday through Saturday. And, you know, with that being the case, uh, excellent guest uh, interview. This received an excellent response already um, with absolute empowerment and um, with former East Carolina strength and conditioning coach Jeff Connors. Uh, he had Steve Bertarosa on, longtime NFL scout with the New York Giants. So go yeah. back and 
check that out, uh, whether it's on YouTube or any of our podcast platforms. Um, also, um, tomorrow night, we'll have David Glenn and also uh, Stevie Fly. Stevie loves talking NFL football, so we'll get his thoughts on many of the uh, draft topics. Um, next week, we'll, we're going to have Morgan Aylers as well as Holton on. Uh, getting his thoughts on wherever he's landed at that point. Bubba, uh, so, Bubba, before, before you move on too far, do we have a translator for Stevie? No, we don't. <laughs> oh, well. We may need to get a translator for Stevie because I'll try to translate for him. I'm pretty good with speaking with speaking that uh, that, that far northeastern North Carolina playing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty good at uh, dissecting that, so yeah, I'll translate. For uh, for our for our viewers and listeners tomorrow night for, for Steve. Yes, just go to the final score and uh, the final score YouTube channel, and uh, if you do, you can go ahead and you know, listen to a few minutes of one of his other podcasts to to get ready for his visit on our show tomorrow night. That's but then uh, we'll have extra innings, of course, on Sunday, taking a look back at the NC State as well as the two lane series, and. Um, and then one other thing I wanted to plug, and that is on May the 3rd, that is the Charlotte Armada. So any of our listeners who are in um, this part of the state, uh, John Gilbert, Mike Houston, and HV3, Harold Varn of the 3rd, will be at oh, Lenny, wow. Boy, Lenny Boy Brewing Company, 3000 South Tryon Street. Again, Lenny Boy Brewing Company on 3000 South Tryon Street, 530 to 7 for the par- Pirate Armada. All right, sounds good. I can't wait for that. And I tell you what, guys, um, make sure you get your season tickets for football. One eight hundred dial ECU, ECPirates.com. You can go there anytime. And of course, if it's uh, during business hours, you can dial toll free. Get your tickets. They're going well, but we want uh, to sell a lot more, and hopefully, we can get to that eighteen thousand, twenty thousand mark. Will be great. They're going for sixteen thousand. I think they're going to bust that. Wide open, I really do. But get your tickets again, one eight hundred ecu ecpirates.com. Guys, do you have anything before we go? Ah, uh, not a thing. Uh, hopefully we get the, hopefully we get the sweep this weekend. Uh, yep. If we're gonna if we're gonna win the conference, we we got we got to sweep some of these series. Well, we got to get the uh, the good news is for us not to get off on a tangent, but I said the other night, if you look who we're playing coming up, we can't stump our toe. And if anything bad was to happen as far as Wichita State, which it did, um, thankfully that we have a lot of our series at home and that we have a chance to chance. That doesn't mean we will, but we have a good chance to uh, get two out of three. But I feel like we've got to sweep in order to host and maybe even have any kind of chance of being a super uh, as far as a, a national seed to uh, host. Yeah, a super. I think you can hang, hang that national seed thing up. But I, I do think we can still host, but we're going to need to. We're going to need to sweep some series. Yeah, no doubt. All right. So, well, good luck to the Pirates this weekend playing between Green Wave. Thanks to Corey so much. Thank you, Kyle. Appreciate your brother. And uh, so happy for you with uh, the good news you got a week ago. And uh, we're going to keep our fingers crossed and keep praying that that will continue for many, many years to come. And uh, appreciate you so much. And I uh, look forward to seeing you. Hopefully, this maybe we can get together this weekend uh, with the Pirates, but we'll see how things go, right? Yeah, no, I appreciate all that, Dave. And, uh, yes, uh, good news last Monday. I don't think I've done a podcast since then, but, uh, yeah, good, good news last Monday. Cancer free as of right now, so hopefully it stays that way. And uh, uh, I, I, I don't know if I'll make it to uh, a game this weekend or not, going to Greensboro. 
Jessica Stragamitis and Kenny Chesney uh, Saturday okay. night. But uh, I, uh, who knows, maybe make it out Sunday. All right, sounds good. Bubba, do you have anything before we go? No, I just appreciate everyone tuning in. Be sure to follow us on social media, on Twitter at TheSportsOBJ, on TikTok and Instagram at The Sports Objective, and then like and follow our Facebook page and subscribe to our YouTube channel. No doubt. All right, guys, good luck again to the Pirates uh, hosting Tulane this weekend. Get some wins in baseball, hopefully a sweep. And until next time, you've been watching and listening to The Sports Objective. Good night, everybody. And as always, go Pirates. Every first down, every touchdown with the cannons blast. Get it on, get it all, get the wave going like the hurricane.